everyone. It's Jared here with the Customizing Culture podcast brought to you by Heat Press Nation. Man, I am super excited about today's episode. We have a very special guest, Lee Stewart. Now, those of you guys who already follow him, you know that he speaks his mind and he doesn't hold anything back. So as a result, we made the decision to not censor this podcast. Uh, so you will hear some strong language if you're opposed to that. Uh, go ahead and check out another one of our episodes. Um, if you have small kids in the room, you don't want them to hear this kind of language, you know, you can go ahead and put some bluey on for them in the other room. Uh, but yeah, well, with that being said, with us today, we have Lee Stewart. He has probably one of my favorite uh, channels, not just in the creator space, but just on YouTube, extremely entertaining. Um, and yeah, he, he does a lot. So I'm going to kind of let him tell us, Lee, do me a favor, introduce yourself and, and a little bit about what you do. So already I have a hell of an intro, man. I, <laughs> my name is Lee Stewart. I'm uh, the owner of Rogue Lab. We are a print shop. We do pretty much everything at this point, screen printing, embroidery, heat press, DTG, you name it. Um, and yeah, I have a, a large YouTube channel where I cover a lot of this stuff. I teach people the ins and outs of the business and, uh, you know, try not to make an ass of myself at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do, dude, you do a fantastic job. Um, man, Thank so I, I Googled you, or I should say I Googled, because uh, you're Winnipeg, right? That's right, yeah. Winnipeg, yeah. I, so Google says you're at around 21 degrees today. Like, how does how does that work out with, with running a shop? Like, does that affect, like, do you have to take special precautions? Uh, does your ink freeze? Like, how does how does that work out? You know, that's actually warm right now for us at this time of year. Okay. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. Like, midwinter, when it's fully, like, winter is in, you know, full throttle mode, it's it gets cold. We're talking, like, negative 30, negative 40 at times. Oh, it's, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it gets crazy. Um, and we have the polar opposite, though, in the summertime. You know, it's over 100 degrees in the summertime. It's, it's super oh, weird. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. So pretty much we get hit with all the elements. But as far as my shop's concerned, it uh, really has no effect. You know, I got big-ass furnace in there and air conditioning and all that type of stuff. So whatever the weather throws at me, I'm prepared, except for the heat in the summer. It doesn't matter how big my air conditioner is. It will not keep up <laughs> because once you Man. get the dryer and the flashes going all day, it's hot in there. Oh man, I bet. Man, I, you said negative 20, negative 30. I thought we had it bad. The other day we got into the 30s and everybody out here in, in Cal, because we're in Southern California, everybody thought all hell had broken loose with the weather. Like it was, everybody <laughs> was losing that. their minds over 32 degrees. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's like, that's springtime weather for us. That's, <laughs> that's normal. You're out in your shorts <laughs> in 32? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. So to give, to kind of get into your background, um, you were a professional motorcycle snowmobile rider, which to me is yep. already like one of the coolest things that someone could possibly be, right? Um, but you started at a really young age. You were 15 when you turned pro. Like, how does that even work yeah. out? Like, were your parents riders? Like, how did you get introduced to that, to where you were a pro at 15? Yeah, so my parents were into motorsports ever since I was a little kid. Okay. Um, my first ride on a snowmobile, I was like, I don't know, four or six weeks old, something like that. Oh, like, nice. Okay. I was a, I was a full blown infant. <laughs> um, and yeah, I started riding when I was around four or five years old, I believe. Um, and just did it for fun for a long time. And it did some little, little mini races here and there, nothing uh, too crazy. And then I started racing when I was around 10. Um, and really like, I don't know. I just, I just had it, I guess you could say. Uh, my first year, like anyone, sucked. But then I've <laughs> always had that competitive drive in me to where if I suck at something, it's like now it's my mission. I got to be good at this. And I not only be good at this, like I want to be the best at this. And uh, 
that's been in me since I was a little kid. And by the following year, I went from being the kid in last place in the, it was like the 80cc 7 and 12 class or whatever, to the following year I won the championship. Wow. Um, and then just progressed really fast from there. Um, racing snowmobiles and dirt bikes at the same time year round. Progressed from like the, the junior and kind of entry classes up into the intermediate and pro classes by the time I was 14 years old. And then this whole freestyle motocross, freestyle snowmobile thing started really blowing up and, and taking off around the time it was like the early 2000s. And uh, I decided I wanted to do that because I was, even though I like racing a lot, uh, I always like doing tricks more than anything. Like I was always, if I won a race or even if I was like 10th place in a race, I would always do a trick over the finish line because that's like my heroes did. It was the coolest thing in the world. That's cool. And then, you know, you see those videos like the Crusty Demons of Dirt videos and things like that. Like I watched those religiously as a kid and wanted to do all that coolest type of stuff, the tricks and the big jumps and whatever. So as soon as freestyle came around, I was like, man, I already got a decent bag of tricks just from playing around and uh, I'm going to try out for this thing. And sure enough, I made it. And uh, by within like two or three months, I was competing against all the guys that I looked up to as a kid. It was, it was crazy. That's a trip. So, <laughs> yeah. so like, so around, so around that time, like who were some of the names? Cause I remember for a little while, I, I didn't even know about freestyle motocross until like X games came around. And then it was basically whoever was doing the X Games circuits, because we didn't have cable, and X Games would come on local TV for us uh, when they were in mm -hmm. town. So like I remember watching uh, dudes like Brian Deegan. Um, yep. Oh man, who's because he he was Metal Militia, which I thought, oh dude, that guy's so rad. Those like, guys were my heroes as a oh, kid. Oh, okay, were they? <laughs> yeah, 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 they were yeah. absolutely. That's like everyone like you know, there's a Travis Pastrana, and like Travis Pastrana, he's yeah. a legend. Like yeah, no one can do what he has done. Um, and then there was those guys that are like the polar opposites. You know, you got the good guy, Captain America. And yeah. then those dudes were like the dark side evil dudes. And that was, that was my, <laughs> my taste of things. So uh, I really looked up to those guys. And then, yeah, I was, you know, riding shows with them you know, a few oh, years later. It was, it was weird. So then what, what made you exit? I don't want to say the scene, but what, cause you know, you, you, you've said it before, like you you started when you're 15 and then you retired, which is a funny thing to say, but you retired at 25. What, like when, what made you realize that it was kind of the end of that part of your life? Um, I, I kind of like, I put my main focus into the snowmobile side of things because uh, the freestyle motocross side, I was I was good at, but I was never really like at that level of like, you know, the Brian Deacons of the world and, and things like that. Like I was like a B team rider compared to those dudes. But on the snowmobile side, I was one of the top three riders in the world. Oh, um, Cause oh, that nice. was, that was what I did more than anything. The, the dirt bike stuff was mainly like, it was a supplement to the snowmobile side of things when I couldn't ride that. Um, so the snowmobile side of things, yeah, like I, I went hard on that for a very long time. Um, I was, I won a lot of events throughout my career, pretty much one year. I think I won, oh, what the hell was it? That series was like 13 or 12 events and I won nine or 10 of them, something like that. It was Jeez. pretty yeah. awesome. Um, and then, yeah, the, the sport started shifting. That's when things really started getting crazier. That's when like backflips on the snowmobiles started becoming a normal thing. Um, and then guys started doing tricks during backflips and started getting crazier and crazier and crazier. And that's when I kind of realized, like, I don't think I have this anymore because I just, I could do it, but it scared the absolute shit out of me. And as soon as you kind of have that fear, it's like, it's over for you, really. Like, you got to either bust through it or, or move on. And I just, I couldn't get past that ceiling uh, of some of this stuff and seeing some people I know, like, get really hurt and things like that along the way. And yeah. like, you know, I was about permanently say, hurt for the rest of their lives. Heights, I was like, I if you mess up at yeah. those heights, you're pretty much done, right? Like, 
Well, think about it. If you under-rotate a flip on a snowmobile, you got 450 pounds coming down on top of you from like 40 feet in the air. Like, yeah. you're, <laughs> if you are able to live through that, you're lucky. Never. <laughs> it's, it's, it's bad news. And yeah, yeah, I saw some, some bad stuff happen my last couple of years and it kind of shook me a little bit. And I was just like, you know what? I don't, I don't think I want to do this anymore. I think I want to try being a normal person <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, getting a normal job and, and things like that. And I realized real quick, a normal job was not for me. And <laughs> that's what started the whole YouTube career. Yeah. So, th- so you go to, you again, normal job doesn't work out, which, you know, it's funny. That's kind of been like a recurring theme. Uh, we've, we're, we're not releasing these in sequence. So I'm not sure exactly when this episode is going to come out. Um, but we've interviewed a handful of people already and they're all the same thing. It's like, Hey, this normal, <laughs> this nine to five, <laughs> this bank teller stuff is just not going to fly with how I want to live my life. Was that the, the biggest reason why you started YouTube? or, you know, your own company, or was that just like one of the factors? Yeah, like I, I started a few things um, in between that whole period. So I started off, uh, once I was done riding, I, I moved back home where I grew up. I got a job uh, as a cable guy, actually, and uh, nice. made really, really good money. It was it was awesome, um, but I just hated every minute of it. It was the worst, <laughs> you know, yeah. being in pe- people's houses all day. And like, you think people are weird out on the street, Try being alone with them in their house. That's when they're their weirdest. Oh, no, no thanks. <laughs> it's, I got some stories. We could fill a whole podcast with just stories from that. Um, so, yeah, I, I did that for a while. Didn't really enjoy that. I worked in a couple, like, bike shops and stuff, and that was definitely, you know, my cup of tea. But at the same time, I didn't really take in orders from people. Plus, being, like, a parts guy or whatever, you're not really going to get super far. Um, so I went to school to become a motorcycle mechanic, which I already – pretty much had every bit of knowledge I needed for that. I just needed the piece of paper because I've been working on bikes since I was four years old, five years old. Um, I knew the instructor. I came in there. He's like, you know, what the fuck are you doing here? He's like, you can just take the paper and go pretty much. (laughs) He's like, I know you know what you're doing. Um, So yeah, I I breezed through that. It was like, you know, a year long course and I was out of there in like six months, something like that. Um, And I was going to start my own bike shop. That was going to be my first entrepreneurial entrepreneurial thing. and it was going okay to start off. I really, I really do enjoy working on motorcycles and, and building them and doing cool stuff to them. But I realized quick that I don't like working on other people's stuff. <laughs> I like building my own shit, but not somebody else's. Cause like my stuff, I always build these like extravagant, cool, like really awesome pieces. And my day to day was like rebuilding blown up engines and, you know, wow. rebuilding suspensions and working on, you know, bikes and things that people didn't take care of. And, that sucked a lot of the fun out of it the for boring, me pretty quick. Basically the boringest part, <laughs> the boringest possible yeah. thing you could do with that. Yeah, yeah, so it's like, you know, I'm spending a lot of my day, you know, like re-threading fucking bolt holes and like <laughs> doing like weird, stupid things that just like I felt like, I don't know, I shouldn't be doing. I, there, I, I have better talents than this. And uh, unfortunately where I live, there's not really a big market for the custom bike thing or really like high-end type of stuff because uh, we only can ride, you know, like five, six months a year, so... That's kind of a <laughs> kind of a thing. So I decided, you know what, this starting a bike shop thing, probably not a good idea. I don't see this really working out. And uh, I built a bike at that time. It was going to be kind of like a, almost like a flagship project for, for the shop to show it off. And I was going to show, show it on social media and YouTube and things like that. It was this uh, Harley Dyna I started building up. And that was around the time the, uh, the Harley scene kind of started seeing this like stunt scene blow up within it guys doing wheelies and tricks and stuff on, on big ass Harleys. And I was like, well, compared to what I used to do, that's, that's easy. I could do that in my sleep. So I was like, I'm going to just take this thing and do that. Let's see what happens. 
started putting that on the internet and it, uh, it turned into a thing pretty quick. <laughs> and that's what started the whole YouTube journey. I made one video and people were like, I want more of that. That was awesome. So then I started trying to figure out how to make more stuff. I started doing thing called moto vlogging and uh, making little stunt videos here and there. And, and then, yeah, that was the, that was the whole start of YouTube for me. It kind of just happened out of, uh, you know, not knowing what to do. Yeah. That's, and that's interesting. So YouTube was the first, cause I was kind of wondering like what came first, like, cause I know you from your screen print shop and we'll get to that, but like, so, but I, but I was always wondering like, well, what came first, like the shop or the channel? So, so it was yeah. the channel. The channel was first. Um, I did that for, what was it like almost two years, something like mm -hmm. that. Um, and it was gaining okay popularity. It didn't like blow up or anything. I think I had like 10,000 subscribers or something like that. It was definitely not a small number, yeah. um, but definitely nothing that's going to pay the bills and be a full-time job. That's for sure. Especially when you're stunting a Harley on the internet and breaking the shit out of it every week. <laughs> like I was, I was losing more money than I was making. And that was the problem. Yeah. Um, and that's what actually led me into this industry because I was broke. I had no, I was trying so hard to make the, the Harley thing on YouTube work and I had no support, no sponsors, no nothing. So it was all out of my pocket. I was spending, you know, $1 would come in, I'd spend five. <laughs> and uh, it's great before I knew practice. it, yeah, before <laughs> I knew it, I had like 200 bucks left in my bank account and a choice to like sell my house, move back home with my mom. And like, you know, I was, Ooh. I was in dire straits essentially. Yeah. And, uh, I had this brilliant idea. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to make a, a last ditch effort here to sell merch to my YouTube audience. And a lot of people were doing, you know, like things like Teespring and, and, and all that type of stuff, the print on demand, um, which I didn't really like because I, the quality sucked and it just, the, the margins aren't really there. You make like one or two bucks a shirt when you go that route. It's just, you yeah. can't really make it, money. It's a numbers selling. game. You have to be selling. You have to be selling big volume. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. for a small channel, you know, I'd be selling a handful of shirts a month, like, you know, like 20 a month. So I wasn't really making, I was making a couple hundred bucks here and there, uh, enough to maybe buy a new tire and I'd go <laughs> roast three of them the next week. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, so I decided, I'm like, I'm going to start a clothing brand and see what happens. You know, I, at least then I have control over my margins. I got, uh, I'll make a lot more money hopefully. And then I've got, I don't know, something, something maybe I can show people on the channel because then I could maybe like promote it and have this stuff in my hands rather than the print on demand people dealing with it. And uh, yeah, so I started a little clothing brand called 38 Ride Company. I made a video showing my first, it's still on my channel today, showing like the launch day, me in this tiny little bedroom with like a little stack of shirts. And, uh, and yeah, it was crazy that video came out and it was weird because like no one really knew about the brand yet, like until after I put the video up, but mm -hmm. enough people knew about it that I sold out everything I made the first two days. Nice. So that was like, it made the video cool. Obviously <laughs> it's like, wow, I blew out all my stock. This is awesome. And that like, I guess showed people that, you know, maybe this is something cool. Maybe we should buy this now. And then more and more orders started coming in. And was it, in, was it encouraging selling out that fast? You're like, Oh, Hey, like, don't have to sell my house and move back home. Like, yeah, was it, was it like was, a good boost of confidence? Oh, big time. And it was, it was crazy. Cause like I had no money. I had like 200 bucks in my account. The way that I got that brand started was like, I went to the bank, I got a credit card for like five grand. I just maxed it out. Okay. <laughs> like, okay. you know, got everything I needed to start it up. I sat in my front lawn for like five days, spray painting my logo on all the boxes and stuff. Like I went the extra mile to try and make it look like a professional brand, even though it was this little rinky dink thing in my basement. And, uh, and yeah, people just, they connected with it for some reason, which was amazing. And the stuff just flew off the shelves immediately. And I was like, wow, that's, 
that's awesome. I'm going to take whatever money I made from that. I'm putting it all back in and doubling down and seeing if I can do it again. And sure enough, it happened again. And I just, I did that like three or four times before I actually took some money for myself to pay the bills. And, uh, and it just kept happening. I was like, oh, this is, I think I have something here. This yeah. is amazing. And uh, it was cool to see that happen. But at the same time, this whole thing turning into a business and I had, I didn't know how to run a business. I was trying to learn. And because of that, I stopped making YouTube videos because I didn't have time anymore. I was like, I was worried about shipping orders and doing all this stuff and, and getting new designs going and, and dealing with all the print shops and whatever. And, uh, were you one man operation up, at this time? I was, I still, still am. Still, yeah. Day. Okay. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was dealing with all that stuff and I ended up not making YouTube videos anymore. I was out of YouTube for like a year. And uh, people started wondering what was going on and, and that type of thing. And then all of a sudden I came back swinging with uh, a whole new type of content of making this stuff myself with my little screen print shop. Yeah, can, can you elaborate on that? Because I think it's really interesting. You're, you're starting your brand. So you're not even starting a t-shirt shop, starting a brand. And then you run into certain like issues where the need arises. What, what made you, or actually, can you tell us that story? Because I have a follow-up question. But for those who don't Absolutely. know, how did you go from uh, starting a brand to starting a shop? So yeah, I was I was getting my stuff made by local screen printers, local embroiderers, uh, all that type of thing, like everybody does. Uh, however, our local people were <laughs> they were shit in the bed, man. It was <laughs> I can't. Some of them might be listening to this, and I don't even care. It was uh, hey, they do were better, right? Doing, they should just do better. They, were, they need to do better, and uh, they were just. It was. I'm a real like. I'm really about the details and stuff. Even before I got in this industry, I knew what a good piece of product was because of my former stuff, uh, riding for a living. I was, I rode for some of the top clothing brands in the, those industries and things like that. I got to see how a lot of the sauce was made and I knew what a good screen print was. I knew what good embroidery was and this wasn't it. It was, it was really, <laughs> really bad. And yeah. uh, so I was just bouncing around from shop to shop to shop, trying to find something and like I'd find one would be cool people to deal with their products sucked found one that the product was okay but they were total assholes and then all this type of this just kept happening for like a six month span and every time it happened i was missing release dates i was you know not able to fulfill certain obligations to customers yeah. things like that and this was also my livelihood you know if somebody misses uh like a, a deadline on something i can't pay the bills that month <laughs> and, right. and that was that was the hardest part about it and i was just like you know what man there's only going to be one way this happens the way that I want it to. And that's if I do this myself. And, uh, once I figured that out, I was like, all right, well, it's, where do I start? Start off with a little hat heat press in my, in that little tiny bedroom. Cause that's all I could afford at the time. And I started just pressing patches onto hats and, uh, and those took off and I was like, wow, this is, this is working. My margins are higher. Now people are asking me to make patches for them. Sweet. So I'll start making patches for people. Then I used that money and I got a little uh, graph tech plotter, started doing little vinyl transfers, things like that. I never used it for my brand, but I was able to do client jobs, like the little one-offs that came through the door mm. um, and then expanded further and further to a full-size heat press. I was able to start doing plastisol transfers for customers. I was still having shop screen print my stuff because I knew the quality level just wasn't the same with a transfer versus an actual screen print. And then uh, it was like, it was a pretty short process, man. It, it's now that I look back at it, it was like maybe seven months from a tiny little heat press to go into a full-blown screen print shop. Would you say it instantly clicked with you? Because it sounds like it did. Like you're like, you, you make it yourself and you're like, oh, I can control all this. Was it like just yeah. something clicked in you and you had it, to now control it all? It did, yeah. As soon as I noticed like that I was able to 
for one, produce the thing and not really make a colossal mistake along the way. That was sweet. Um, but also I was able to kind of fine tune things and like try different stuff and see what works, see what didn't, see what produced quality, see what produced shit. Um, and yeah, it was, yeah. it was crazy, man. And then just it, that gap between heat pressing to the screen print shop, that was like, that was the big scary one, right? Because mm -hmm. if anyone saw my first videos coming back and starting to show this whole screen print thing, like I didn't go small like people do with screen printing. I yes. didn't start off with a little press. I didn't start off with a little beginner setup. I dumped like 30 grand and went head first into a full professional shop. I ripped the whole basement out of my house and turned it into a full blown production space. It was, it's, and that's kind of why my channel blew up honestly, because at that time, yeah. and I still think to this day, honestly, I, I still to this day have not seen a home print shop at that level. That was, that was like the first of its kind. Yeah, so like, I, wow. I wanna comment on that because your basement tour, it, it blew, that video went viral, um, yeah. but like there's an attention to, to aesthetic detail that you have that I, in my opinion, my dumb opinion, I think that's one of the big reasons why maybe that video took off or why people liked it because your basement shop looked nicer than 99% of the pro shops out there. Right. You see other pro shop videos and they're in like a warehouse, they're in a, a car garage, they're, they're, you know, they're just making use of the space and nobody bothers to make it look nice. Everything looks all crusty and dusty and, and like, I see those shops and I'm like, dude, I don't want them to print my stuff. It just looks right. It, it's kind of weird how that works out. Where does your attention to aesthetic detail come from? Is that just some, is like innate? You just, I don't know how to, like, how does that work out? Where does that come from, from you? It's mainly like, it's optics for me, right? So it's like, mm -hmm. like you said, if you see some of these other shops, it's like, you don't want them to print your stuff. And yeah. everyone knows that old saying, you know, garbage in, garbage out. Um, yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's what I saw at a lot of places. And when I decided that I'm going to start showing people this stuff on the internet, because I guess circling back a little bit to me not making videos to making videos again, when I made the decision that I'm going to document this whole process of starting this screen print shop and, and really taking control of my own brand and putting it on the internet for people, because I, for one, I just really missed making YouTube videos. And this would be the only way that I could do it with my new schedule full of stuff that I had to do. Um, just combine all the worlds together. And, uh, at that point, I kind of made the conscious decision that I was like, if I'm going to show this to that many people and I'm going to be putting this on social media under like a, a business name, things like that, like I want to be presentable. I want it to look awesome. I want people to like take me seriously. You know, I don't want to, someone to be like, you know, this guy's working out of his house kind of thing. And when they describe, yeah. usually when you describe someone who's like working out of their house, it, it puts a, an image in your head of like, oh, this is some it little does. bullshit operation kind of, you know? <laughs> um, and it does, and it's unfortunate because some people are doing some amazing stuff out of their, their home setups, but it's just a mentality that's in a lot of people. And uh, so when I did this, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna eradicate that out of people's minds. I'm gonna make this look like a pro shop. It's gonna be sparkling clean. It's gonna look awesome. And in the background, all my social media stuff and in these YouTube videos, people are gonna be like, holy shit, this guy's legit. And uh, Sure enough, I was right about that. <laughs> <You know? For> sure. <laughs> it uh, it kind of just took off in a big way. People are like, wow, that, that home shop is crazy. And like, I just, I have a, a thing kind of ingrained into me about keeping stuff clean when I'm working. And that mm. came from riding for a living, you know, being around some of these like really top tier high level mechanics that like, you know, they lay out when they're taking an engine apart, every bolt is laid out just perfectly by size. There's like, even though you're taking apart a greasy, oily engine, somehow everything is sparkling clean all the time. And uh, the guy that actually, that I learned a lot of this stuff from, he 
told me a piece of advice one day that really, really stuck with me because he gave, this, gave me this advice when I was about to start a motorcycle shop. He said, if you're going to hire a mechanic, before you even say anything to this guy, he's like, go out in the parking lot and look at the backseat of his car. And I was like, why? And he's like, because if that thing is, if his car is clean and whatever and nicely organized, you know that's how he's going to keep your tools and keep your shop. If it's full of fucking old clothes and French fries and just oh. like a scattered mess back there, that is what he's going to do to your shop. And I was like, you know, that, that really makes a lot of sense. That, that and, does uh, because that, my car that back stuck seat. with me forever. <laughs> that makes so much sense because my <laughs> car back seat is a filthy mess. And my heat, <laughs> right. press, my heat press station is a... <laughs> yeah and that that oh, stuck so with funny. me man and i was just like so from there on out it's like i'm keeping everything clean and and it's it's amazing how much easier your work is when you have a, a nice clean shop yeah would you okay question kind of going back a little bit to the aesthetic of it is it your your passion for making things look good besides the clean factor would you say it's more that you hate ugly or you love pretty yeah, see, that's a that's a tough one. I guess it's more or less I hate ugly because I mean my shop's not always pretty. It's it's a real shop. Sometimes I'm getting ink on the floor or whatever. Or I'm super busy and there's shirts scattered all over the place and whatever. And you know, there's there's times you might walk in my shop and it's like, oh, this isn't as great as it looks on camera. But <laughs> like this, that by the when that end of the day rolls around, it's like this cleanup time. I got to do some stuff and and get this back in order. But uh, yeah, I just can't stand like the look of some of these places, man. And that was again with starting up my own thing, you know, some of these shops, somehow you'd go, you wouldn't even be in the shop yet and you'd have ink on you. You're in the parking lot and you got ink on you. It's like, <laughs> how is this <Yeah>. possible? <laughs> you know, it just, if I'm going to have clients coming in out of stuff, I want it to be, I want to be something that they talk about with people. Yeah. For sure. And nice. putting this out on the internet for now, whatever it is, 112,000 people, something like that. Like they, they still talk about that. That shop is immaculate. And that's, it, that's what I want to, you know, I want that whole thing to be ingrained with my brand. Yeah, I think another wild part about that shop is that it's so DIY. And you're like the king of DIY, but not like I made this weird, crusty little, and these are just my notes, so these are my leash. So I don't, because <laughs> I will, oh my God, I will uh, ramble and uh, tangent so bad. It's really bad. Oh, so they, me too. They put, they put me on a leash right here. Um, see, what was I even saying? Oh yeah, so you're like, you're the king of DIY, <laughs> right? But not like I made this weird, crusty little project for, with a hot glue gun and old wine bottles, right? It's more like DIY, like, no, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. Yeah. And your commitment to DIY is pretty, is, I don't want to say crazy, but it's definitely unusual. Where does that come from? Like, it, it, was that like ingrained to you from like a kid? Is that like a big part of your like family ethic? Like, like, wh like where does just the, the super hardcore commitment to DIY come from? I don't know. I guess, like, like I said, it just kind of goes back to my competitiveness. Like if I'm mm -hmm. going to do anything, if I'm going to like, it, I'm the most competitive person ever, like to an annoying amount. <laughs> if I'm going to do <laughs> literally anything, I want to be the best at it. Are, are if game I'm, nights at your house crazy? Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely terrible. <laughs> I'm a sore winner and a sore loser. Uh, <laughs> but like, if I like, if I'm not good at something, it, it drives me nuts to a point that like I can't sleep at night. Like, for example, stupidest thing in the world. Back when, remember when Guitar Hero really blew up? Like oh, Guitar Hero yeah. 2 or whatever it was? Yeah. That was the one that really took off, right? Mm -hmm. I went to a party and uh, I'd never played it before. I was just blowing it so hard. Like it was the worst. I couldn't even play on easy I, mode. I have a and theory for about starters, that. For starters, it was but... because 
they didn't flip they didn't tell me there's lefty mode i'm left-handed so i'm trying to play it backwards i'm playing left-handed but the screen's right so they couldn't connect it but either way i was just i was sucking so hard and people were just ripping on me for it i was like <laughs> that <laughs> you'd think something like that a normal person would just be like i don't give a shit and just you know move on with their life and do something completely different me however I went to the extent I went home, I bought an Xbox, I bought that game. <laughs> I practiced like crazy to the point where like, I think it was like three months later, something like that, playing the Dragon Force song through the fire and flames on expert with oh my, my back God. turned to the TV and getting like 95% <laughs> on this stuff. Like I got that good at that game simply because people were making fun of me at a party once. Dude, that that's, that's, that sums up my competitive nature. That, <laughs> like, so that, You play guitar in real life, right? Yeah, okay. I do. I, I did after I got so good at that game because oh. <laughs> after I got to a point where I was that good at it, I was like, what am I doing? If I put this amount of effort into a real guitar, I could actually play one by now. And I just like, I took that controller in front of my friends and I snapped it in half and was like, I'm never touching <laughs> this again. And I didn't. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, well then maybe that doesn't prove my theory. So I play guitar for, for real. And then when I started playing Guitar Hero, I sucked incredibly bad at it. And it's I was, weird how it doesn't I, translate, does it, it? It doesn't at all. And so my theory is that real guitarists suck at Guitar Hero but video gamers who can't play guitar are really good at it. But that's yeah. just a theory. That was the turning point for me. I was living with a dude who played in a metal band. I'm a big time metal guy, hence that. Um, <laughs> and uh, these dudes were, they were playing some like really complex stuff. Some like, you know, some Lamb of God songs and whatever. And, and they were jamming out for like a good hour. And I was sitting there like rocking. I'm like, yeah, man, they're, they're killing it. Like they're nailing this stuff. And then after they were done, he's like, man, you got to see this guy play Guitar Hero. And I'm playing <laughs> that song for them. And they're just like, wow, that's incredible. And they're like, are you serious? You guys were just playing like awesome <laughs> real stuff. And, and, and uh, that was when I literally like broke the controller. And I was like, you, guitar guy, we're going to the music store right now. I need to pick out a guitar. <laughs> and, uh, and we did. But, uh, but anyways, that's just what I'm like. So when I started doing this whole printing thing, like, I couldn't put out a mediocre product, especially yeah. if I'm going to put it out on the internet for people and all these people are going to be looking at me and judging me and whatever. Like I got to hold myself to a high standard. So I'm going to be practicing my ass off to get good at it. And of course, all the first stuff that came out, it was, it's funny because the first print that came off that press was literally better than all the shops that made my stuff before. So I was like, all right, I'm off to a good start. Yeah. <laughs> but I did make a lot of mistakes along the way. And you know how it's like on YouTube. If you make any sort of mistake on the internet, you're going to hear about it big time in Jeez. the comments. <laughs> and, uh, all, all of a sudden, all the professionals that could have done uh, your yeah. shirt great, where were they? They're in the comments. They're not. And dude, <laughs> and I'm I'm thankful for that stuff. Like these people think they're like getting the upper hand on me. You know, they're going to go in my comments and talk shit about me and like take me down a peg or something like that. And I'm like, do it, please give it to me. Cause you're just, you're just fueling the fire for me to get better and better and better. And even still to this day, like even though I'm operating at a, a, a pro level, there's a legion of people that like to talk shit about me all day. And I'm just like, keep it coming. Cause I'm just going to keep getting better off this. And it's uh, like, it's like a WWE <laughs> vibe. Like when you're yeah. like the villain, when you're undertaker coming out, everyone's booing and you're like, yeah, that's, that's what it feels like yeah. sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, man, it's just, it's pure competitive nature for me. And that's, that's really what it boils down to is just, I want to be good at whatever I touch. I don't want to half-ass anything ever. And, uh, and that's thankfully gotten me to this point in this industry. Yeah, man, that's, that, that's, I, I definitely agree with you 100% because nobody wants to learn how to do something sucky, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of your content is super valued because you take the time. And that's why, so I don't even screen print and I've seen like most of your videos. The, even the screen printing ones, like the process, I'm like, dude, this is like super valuable stuff. I really loved your video uh, when you were doing, uh, I think it was like the discharge or water base uh, process with that one, mm -hmm. like, I don't know what it was, like a girl riding a motorcycle or something like that. The, the shirt that took oh. you four days to print. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Like that one was a, that was a standard plastisol print, but yeah, was that, that one? one was oh, like okay. a it was a it was a bigger order, like for a manual press, and it was mm. like a seven color print or something like that, or a oh, seven or eight. It was it was. A, it was a big one, and uh, you know, on manual press that takes some time. So I was there yeah for four days. By the end of that four days, my Snap. hands were like the skin was falling off them. I was just hating life, but uh, you know, I got it done. That but was, you got it done. You got it done beautifully, and I think that's why I'm sure. I don't know. I don't know the numbers on that video specifically, but it's. A I really think that was actually one. the last print that I did in my old home shop. Oh, before you moved. I think that was. I think that was the last video, the last print before everything changed. Pretty sure. So that's so now's actually a good time to bring that up. So your shop takes off, your channel takes off, and then to the point to where you're now. What what made you want to move to the bigger shop? Was it just necessity? Like, dude, I can't handle these orders in this little yeah. shop, or was it just like, hey, I can afford it now. Channel's doing good. Let's go. Well, yeah, it was like it was mainly the shop because a lot of people think that the channel's what's making the money and stuff, and that's that's the business. And it's really it's not. That's why I don't make videos every week like a normal YouTuber does because mm-hmm. the business is the main business. It's it's literally like gotcha. a tenfold <laughs> difference. Um, and yeah, I was just like I can't continue to manually print this much anymore. I just I physically cannot do it anymore. I was printing, you know, eight to twelve hours a day every day, seven days Jeez. a week. And just like hey, I'm messing hey, up that my, should shut my up body. Any, that should shut up anybody who thinks that like you don't have a real job. Because people oh, right. who, like any anyone from like banking or whatever who looks down who looks out and they see like printers and shop like eh, go get a real job hippie and I'm like and it's like dude you obviously do not know the work that exactly. goes into running something like this. It's it's crazy and it's you gotta it's physical it's fucking hot and sweaty and it's dirty a lot of times too and like sometimes it's wet you know you're reclaiming screens for a whole day if you're a one man shop you gotta reclaim like fifty screens you're coming out of there soaked and you know covered in inky shit <laughs> it's it's not a good time all the time and uh, but yeah it's it's physical and at that point I was literally printing every single day and I was just like I can't keep doing this there's no way it's either I'm gonna like burn myself out or I'm gonna like physically injure myself or something like that. And plus like, I can't grow the business this way. I can only take so much work. I was turning away for every like 10 jobs that came in, I was turning away five because I just can't wow. physically print that much. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of cherry picking at the time, which sucked because I should have made the move a lot sooner, but I just wanted to make sure that I had a rock solid foundation for the business. And also for myself, I wanted to make sure I was a good enough printer to take on this amount of work. Uh, so kind of took it easy for the first couple of years and just like, I really just focused on becoming a good printer. And, uh, and then, yeah, I came to a point where it's like, I got, if I'm going to expand this business and like turn this into something bigger, I, I got to move. And, uh, <laughs> I started kind of looking around for like commercial space, things like that. Um, it was crazy to find out that like to own a commercial space. That was going to be my first option. I was like, I want to buy a commercial space because I don't, I don't like renting. I won't lease. I don't like giving money away to people for something yeah. that I'll never own. It just doesn't make sense to me. And uh, so I wanted to buy a commercial space and that I got the brakes put on me real, real fast for that one because apparently where I live, <laughs> you got to, it's not like a house where, you know, 10% down, whatever it is. It's, you got to put down like 45% on a commercial Ooh, space. And I was like, I who the that, hell has yeah. that? Like commercial <laughs> space starts at like, you know, $900,000. Like who has that just laying around? So that's out. Um, so I was like, you know what? Why don't I just continue what I'm doing? Let's go the home shop route again, but let's, find a property with, you know, big acreage and a big uh, a building on it and some room to expand and, and build like a, a real print shop, but still at home. And, uh, and that's what I ended up doing. I, it took me a year to find this place. And as soon as I did, it was like, that's, that's the one right there. I need that. It, it and, looks uh, so perfect, by the way, like this setup, you, you literally have like my absolute dream setup. 
like as far as like house and shop it's just like dude it, it doesn't get any better than that I mean, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Like I, I can't lie. I got, I got a good over here. That's for sure. <laughs> um, the crazy part is though, like it was my dream shop until I finished setting it up and I realized it's not big enough, <laughs> not even close. <laughs> I am already out of space. And that's yeah. I ran out of space before I even started. And oh. uh, so now I'm on the mission to, uh, to make a lot of money and, uh, and expand this out, build a new building here or expand off of this building or something. I need to at least like double or triple my footprint here to, to go to the next level because like as soon as we started up with the auto in here and all this other equipment and stuff, obviously I got a, a lot of great opportunities with sponsors and stuff because of the YouTube channel. So I got all, a ton of equipment in this shop at this yeah. point. And, it takes up a lot of room and uh and yeah i ran out of space really really quick so that's <laughs> hopefully the next step is expansion but but so you have a new what is it, like a 10 station right the 10 station rock auto yeah i've got a, it's a 10 color 12 station there rock next wow so now with that i'm sure that has just increased your your output capabilities like a lot what what what's yeah. your what's your kind of max output right now like um day? right now i'm still working alone so I've, I've been trying to hire right now. That's that's kind of my new challenge. Oh, nice. is trying to find people that, is, yeah, is I should have hired a long, long time ago. Okay, but yeah. uh, I wanted just to make sure that for starters, like I knew what I was doing mm -hmm. and was going to be a good boss for people. And like my big thing is I don't want to be one of those bosses that tells you how to do your job and doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, yeah. we've all worked for one of those guys. <laughs> yeah. So I want to make sure that I know how to do everything in the shop at a at mediocre to high level like i want to know exactly how everything works so if i got to explain something to someone or whatever then like they're going to take my advice on that or at least not think i'm just some dickhead coming in from my office and <laughs> yeah. not knowing what i'm talking about um is it so weird hiring because you've been a one-man show for like a, a this whole time pretty much i know you have uh, yeah i got Dan, uh, right? one guy. guy yeah dan's been with me from literally day one uh he oh, does okay. all the graphic design stuff that's that's where we get a lot of our look from. We kind of like really combine efforts on that where it's like, I just, I'm an idea factory for him a lot of the time. And then he just takes him and takes him to a whole other level and does something like he's fucking awesome at what he does. Um, other well, than he's that, not though, printing. No, um, he's just literally all graphic design all the time. And uh, which is a big aspect of our business, which is great. Um, but yeah, I do everything else myself. So it's going to be weird hiring because I don't know. I would have liked to like hire a friend or something like that, but you know, I'm 36 years old. All my friends have jobs already. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're not just going to randomly need a job one day unless something crazy happens. So I'm going to have to hire some random person I've never met before and like be in close quarters with this new human being and see yeah. what that's all about. It has to be to someone you like. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's my big thing. I, and I even put that on social media when I was hiring. I was like, we don't require any experience. I don't care. Like, what if you have print job experience? I don't care if you even finished high school. I didn't finish high school. Just all I need from you is good work ethic. Someone who's going to be able to kind of like share the same values with me on that. And yeah. for them not to be weird, just be cool. Someone I want to hang out with all day. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the only two things I care about. And uh, yeah, so I'm yeah, it's kind of right like now. being in a band at that point, because like I remember, so me and my, me and my brothers, and this is like 10 years ago at this point, we were we were just in talks with labels. Nothing ever transpired. We never like signed or anything like that. Um, but they would all ask us like the big question was, so I know you guys are brothers, but do you guys even like each other? And of course we do. We love each other, you know. 
And, we're, and I thought that was a weird question until they would tell us the horror stories of bands they had signed that broke up because nobody in the band could stand each other. They were just all good musicians. And as yeah. soon as they went, you know, they could stand each other for the studio. As soon as they sent that band on tour, they're all on the bus together and everything just collapsed. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, oh, so that's why my favorite band only put out one record. Oh, that's a trip. Right. Yeah. And so and so I, I feel like that kind of like now as an adult now here working now that I'm on a I'm on a team here at, at Heat Press Nation. It's like, oh, I get it. You have to like the people you work with. Otherwise, it's going to be a rough, rough ride. Yeah. And I learned that too when I was riding for a living. You know, I'm traveling around oh, the world. I There's yeah. 15, 20 dudes who are all like real type A personality type of guys that are competing against each other all the time. So there was like, there'd be times where people are fighting each other and shit like that. Ooh, and there's a lot man. of animosity and things like that. And there'd be little clicks going on. And it was, uh, I learned about that at a very no, young age. Oh, that's got to be and, wild. Uh, yeah. So when it comes to my shop, that's that's why I care more about who the people are and what they're like than, than anything else they bring to the table. Because I want it to be like a, I want it to be kind of like a family atmosphere here to a certain yeah. degree. I want people, like, I want to be able to trust these people and like rely on them for stuff. But at the same time, I want to be able to like have a good time with them and have them, you know, not dread coming to work for some reason. I want yeah. them to like, they want to be there and, and have fun, you know, I want hang out and headbang to death metal all day with, with someone <laughs> I like. That's that's the goal. Yeah. Heck yeah, man. Man, you know what's you know what's funny, sorry, and this is just me kind of fan, fanboying out a little bit, but I never thought about that uh dynamic on the uh on the rider tour circuit. Cuz of course, like as a band you're you're playing with other bands touring, but you're mm -hmm. playing like together. No one's competing. Like everybody knows who the headliner is, but there's no like no one gets a medal at the end for who did had the best set. But with yeah. riding Oh, I never thought how that competitive edge could could, I guess, show up. <laughs> yeah, in the you're, social you're literally competing the against your your friends essentially, and there's oh. money on the line and all this other stuff and like sponsorships and and whatever, right? So it uh, sometimes it would get crazy, and like there was a year where me and one dude were we were battling for the championship, and we were super good friends at the start of the year, and towards the end of the year, not so much because <laughs> it was like it's friends off for a while, man, because we're we're competing at this point. You know? Oh man, <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Crazy, but uh, hopefully that those days are behind me and I'm not going to have that kind of shit going on in my shop. <laughs> yeah. Man, so you, and kind of go, just going back to the shop here and like how you run your channel, you put your gear through its paces. I think that's one thing that, like if anyone had ever had a question about the authenticity uh, of Lee Stewart, right? Like you put gear through its paces, you send stuff back, you're not afraid to say, hey, this this machine I thought was going to be dope, it actually sucks, or uh, you know, hey, this this company, their support, you know, you put them on blast, and not on blast for the sake of just, uh, you know, it's it's not to just because some people will do things like that just to get eyes on their videos, but yeah. I, I feel like it comes from a really true place for you where it's like, hey, if you guys want to use this equipment, just be aware, you know, you're really real and authentic with your audience on the equipment that you're using. But has has that caused any brands to like? Be, I don't want to say be afraid of you, but have you ha have you oh, experienced that? Yeah, there's there's multiple brands that will not touch me with a ten foot pole because of that, <laughs> um, and like and it's funny too. Like I was I was almost ready to call some out that were in my inbox like trying to pay me for positive reviews on stuff. Like this that happens Ooh. a lot. They're like we want we want to offer you this, but you can only say this about this machine or whatever this oh, wow. supply is or whatever, right? Um, and I'm just like, my first response is like, fuck no, yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing that. At this yeah. point, like I, I started my channel 
with I didn't have any intention of it blowing up and turning into this thing where I was going to get sponsor deals and all that type of stuff. Like I did all that before in my previous career. I know how that all works. And uh, I started off my, my channel with just documenting my journey, right? And showing people this, I'm learning how to screen print. I'm learning how to do all this stuff. And and that really connected with a lot of people who were like, man, you're, you're a no bullshit guy. Like when you're making mistakes, you're showing them. I'm not cutting yeah. them out of like every other YouTuber that's like they're showing the highlight reel of everything and, you know, everything's awesome and perfect all the time. Yeah. And I was like, that's not real life. That's not real business. You're going to make mistakes and, and do a lot of dumb stuff. And it pained me at times because like I was doing some real dumb stuff and I left it in the video because it's like, this is, I'm sitting there thinking about it. I'm like, you know, I hate putting this out there, but people are going to learn from this. And I feel yeah. like it's, it's valuable to somebody and maybe I can help them not make that same stupid mistake that I just made. That was my, what was going on in my head at the time. And people really connected with that. And I gained kind of like a, a reputation almost of like being very honest, being very real with people. And I was like, that meant like a lot to me and still does to this day. And when sponsors and companies started kind of knocking on the door later on, uh, I just, I was not going to give that up because of my previous career. I, I knew what was going to happen and mm -hmm. it happened to me before. And I seen it happen to other people. As soon as sponsorship gets involved, censorship comes next. That's, that's just the way it goes. Yeah. And I was like, that's not happening here. I've built trust with these people. And that means more to me than any of this money or free equipment ever will. Um, so when people started, you know, offering me stuff literally, and still this day, the first thing is it's like, all right, cool. Whatever that offer is, I appreciate it. Sweet. But if you want to work with me, rule number one is I get to say whatever I want yeah. and that's it. If you don't like that, you can walk right now. And, uh, and most of them do, <laughs> but <laughs> the ones that stuck around are the ones that are like, they're, they're legit. They, they share those values. Like I do, like, let's say like yeah. Ryanet. Ryanet's probably the one they've been here since the beginning. Um, one of my biggest supporters, they're amazing. And I have not, uh, every product they give me, I haven't given it a positive review. Like there's been times where I've said this sucks or, you know, whatever. And they, they look at it differently than most people. They don't look at that as like, like, oh, you know, like a marketing blunder. Uh, you better stay away from this guy. They immediately get on the phone with me. are like, all right, what went wrong? How to go wrong? How can we make this better? Mm. <laughs> and that's how yeah. companies need to look at it. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool that, uh, I have a lot of support with people that are willing to do that kind of thing. But yeah, like you said, there are a lot of companies that they won't come near me because of <laughs> what they're afraid of what I might say, or, you know, they're afraid that I swear and or say stupid things sometimes in my videos and whatever, and they don't want to be associated with that and whatever. And it's just like, you know, they got to learn that this, what I've got going on, and there are some other people doing the same thing. It's cool to see that happening like that is the most valuable marketing you can get. You can make the most corporate, amazing type of video and put it out there to promote your product. No one gives a shit about that. <laughs> the only thing people care about is someone legit who's actually yeah. using this thing and telling you the pros and cons about it and, you know, someone that has trust with the people. And yeah, it's yeah. it's it's pretty cool that that's, uh, that's where I'm at right now. So you, you've probably turned down some big checks. Have you ever second guessed it like, oh man, I could have gone to Hawaii with this. I could, has that, has that thought ever yeah. even crossed your mind? I totaled it up one day. Cause like, it's not so much the ones I turned down to like, cause we never really get to the point of like dollars and cents or whatever. There's, mm. it's the, uh, the stuff all the other YouTubers take like generic YouTubers kind of thing. I'd like to say, I don't know, just like vloggers and things like that. Yeah. Your email, once you kind of, 
it's weird how it happens too. It's like, as soon as you cross that 100,000 subscriber mark, your email inbox changes immediately. It's super weird. Like it's like they yeah. somehow get a notification that <laughs> you have marketing power all of a sudden. It's super weird. So I get all these random emails from companies like trying to pay me to peddle just like this weird crap that has nothing to do with screen printing, nothing to do with my channel, like every single day. Like, like you know, what, like, for example, I'm just curious now. Like what's that, what's that stupid phone game that was on like every YouTuber was advertising forever, that Raid Shadow Legends, whatever oh, the hell it's called. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, not League of Legends. And shit like that, like, yeah. Yeah, and like weird little stupid products and things like oh, that. Like, wow. you know, review this flashlight and we'll pay you this much money for it. I'm like, <laughs> why am I gonna review a flashlight? What does that have to do with anything? And- uh, It's a screen <laughs> Anyways, I got a- no. <laughs> yeah, like there's so much of this stuff that comes in and I, I got curious and I started totaling it up one day and I was like, man, I wish I was a shittier person and took some of these because it was like $100,000 or something like that when Whoa. I started totaling it up. But I was just like, man, could have made a lot of money this year. It was like, again, if I started taking stuff like that and just peddling every little thing that came through the door, I would lose that trust with people immediately yeah. because then they would just get that vibe like, oh, he's just here to make money. He's not here to actually show me this or help me with that. It's just, he's here to, for a job. And, uh, and yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to feel that way. Yeah. Well, you're, you're a better man than me. If somebody said, Jared, hundred K start talking about, about flashlights, bro, I'd be the flashlight King. So I, I respect you a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, at times I'm, I'm sitting there thinking like, man, I wish I was a worse person. <laughs> yeah. Just, it just doesn't make sense. And like, if I started doing that, you would see the, the viewership would start going down. The, everything would go down along with it. It would just selling out would be selling down essentially. Yeah. Hey, what's with that? So we're about the same age. I'll be 35 uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, and I, growing up, like selling out was definitely like, if you were a sellout, like, bro, like no way, like being a sellout was like probably one of the worst things you could be. And then now I feel like the, the, the new culture is just, everybody's just chasing that back. Like everybody is so quick to be like, oh, my first sponsorship deal, what was it? It's a hemorrhoid cream, cool. Like, you know, like everybody's just like so quick to chase the bag that I feel like there's there's definitely a bit of, I, I would say it's one of the reasons why, and this is just my opinion, one of the reasons why we've kind of authenticity in the general social media landscape is that nobody's afraid to be a sellout anymore. Yeah, it's two things. like. Like you said, selling out, like everyone's, it's uh, well, like kids' most popular thing now. Like when I was a kid, what was the most popular job? Like what do you want to be when you grow up? Was like a fireman or a policeman or something like that. Now it's to be a YouTuber. Yeah. Or to be yeah. an Instagram or a TikToker nowadays. That's the big thing. Um, so everyone's kind of chasing that influencer status and to make money doing nothing essentially. That's, yeah, that's yeah. what people want. They want to get something for nothing. And uh, people are getting lazier and lazier and lazier as the years go on, it seems. And they just expect money for minimal effort. Um, and that, yeah, social media changed that a lot for people. Yeah. yeah, when I was a kid, you know, growing up, selling out was like a, was a bad thing. Yeah, <laughs> and, a, a, uh, a very bad thing. Like And nowadays it's like you get a sponsorship deal for whatever to promote something on Instagram or, or YouTube or whatever. It's like, oh, hell yeah, that's amazing and whatever, which is cool, I guess, because now that's, I do a little bit of that and, and people congratulate from for it rather than, you know, talk shit. So that's, that's good, I guess. I, I but, think it's uh, cool if, if it's within your, your scope, within your range. It, yeah. But so it like, makes sense if it's actually going to add value to people yeah. to a certain degree. Right. So like if I was to start reviewing like these flashlights and stuff, nobody gives a shit about that. <laughs> and that's going to like, that's going to hurt what I'm doing and people are going to trust me less and whatever. But if I'm going to share something with them that like, my big rule is, is I won't promote anything that I wouldn't use myself. Perfect. essentially yeah. right so i uh if 
someone comes knocking at something that I haven't used yet, I want to try it first. I want to see if it's cool and whatever, if I like it, and then we'll talk about it. Um, or if someone comes to me with something I'm already using, it's like, yeah, let's do that. That makes sense because I like this product. I like this thing. And I think this could benefit other people. Yeah. I love it, man. Now, in, in addition to we've, so all this we've been talking about is Rogue Lab and the channel. But besides that, you also do other stuff. You have North of Nine, right? Mm -hmm. And then there was one more. I have it written down here somewhere. Oh, th oh, and then 38 Ride Company. You did actually mention 38 Ride Co. Yeah. So like that's like four different things. And for someone like me, like I'm I'm like a one track mind kind of guy. So maybe I don't know if everybody else sees it this way. You're running four different companies essentially, right? Like how do you avoid burnout? And I get this is probably more just like a me question. I don't know if anyone else is thinking this. I'm for sure 100% thinking this. How do you avoid burnout with with managing so many different uh, companies and just aspects of the business? This right here, if you're not watching this <laughs> on any sort of video platform, it is Google Calendar, my phone right here. Okay. Like the way that I time block and schedule myself, that is how everything works nowadays. Like as soon as I was starting to feel that a while ago with like the burnout and, and whatever. And I always thought that, burnout was never going to happen. <laughs> I was going hard for so long and Young I was and like, invincible. Ah, burnouts. I literally said it somewhere where I was like, burnout is just something lazy people say. And, uh, <laughs> and, yeah. and it, it, it's not, it, sometimes it, it gets you. Cause like last year, anyone who knows what's been going on with me and my shop for the last year, like last yeah. year for me sucked. It was bad. Everything that could have went wrong, went wrong. And that's when I started feeling the burnout. It wasn't necessarily like some people where they feel like they have too much work going on and they burn out. For me, it was just like so much different stress and, and things going bad for me. That's what burned me out. So when the time came that things were working again, I didn't want to do it. Cause I just mm. was like, I feel like if I start something bad's going to happen again. And uh, once I started getting into the whole time blocking thing in, in the Google calendar, I kind of start taking things like at smaller, smaller chunks, smaller doses, whatever. And I slowly built myself back up again to uh, to having that motivation. And then now it's the point where like my day is like fully scheduled from the time that I wake up to the time that I fall asleep. Like there's something filling that entire space. And, does that structure uh, give I, you comfort or stress? It does, it a lot actually. Cause then I know what's going on, what's coming up. I know when to shut it down and give myself like wind down time and free time because before I would never do that. I would just work from the time I woke up till I went to bed and uh, I would, mess my sleep schedule all up because I would stay up all night and then sleep all day and whatever. And now it's like, you know, six o'clock rolls around. It's like hard cut off three hours of free time, go to bed every day. It's like my phone tells me exactly what to do 24 hours a day. And that fixed everything when it came to the burnout stuff and just motivation in general, because it's like, now it's like, I'm looking forward. Like what's the next thing coming up? I'm yeah, let's do this. I'm pumped. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, when that wind down time comes up, it's like, I've had to, it's teaching me discipline to where I want to keep going at this thing, but I'm like, nope, you got to, don't fuck this up. You got to shut it down, come back at it tomorrow. And uh, do it. It's, it's probably the most powerful thing that I've introduced in my life in the past, I don't know, couple months since I've been doing it. And it's literally, I've watched myself and my output just immediately go like, boop, just ramp up huge. Beautiful. So would you, would you say that like if a lazy person should avoid this industry at all costs? It, oh, absolutely. You, you, ha you have this really amazing like work ethic that ob like obviously I'm sure I don't need to tell you that's probably a big part of your success. But like I, I have a hard time imagining anybody without a half decent work ethic could even survive. Yeah. And that's entrepreneurship in general. Really. Yeah. It's you got to have something in you that's going to push you because you, when you're your own boss, 
there's no one telling you what to do every day, right? Yeah. So you no. can kind of, you're calling the shots. And if you don't have that thing in the back of your mind telling you like, you got to get this done, you got to do this, 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 and this, if you want to get up to this level, you're not going to go anywhere. You got to like, you got to, if you don't have discipline, it can be taught, it can be learned, you can force it, but you got to, you got to start somewhere and you got to really structure some shit out to make sure you're getting things done. Cause I learned that in the past couple of years, there've been times where I just, I got complacent and uh, yeah, where I, I let stuff slip multiple times. I could have probably gotten to the level that I'm at now way earlier <laughs> for sure. Yeah. If I had had the structure that I'm, I'm building now three years ago, four years ago, I'd be way further ahead. Absolutely. I love it. So, and not we're not like quite. I have a couple more questions if if you if we're good. Oh yeah, we can keep okay. going for okay, as long perfect. as you want. <laughs> hours. I'm good. I oh. blocked off a whole half of the day for this. Oh okay. Oh nice. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna get all my questions in. No. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. All right. So now I do have I do have a, uh, one question. So you you have even even where you're at, you had your whole basement to work with, right? And kind of going back to heat pressing because this is heat press nation. So I have to ask a couple heat press questions. Yeah, man. Um, so, like, I know out here in Southern California, space is at a premium. Um, me, and I'm just going to use myself as an example. I have the world's tiniest two-bedroom apartment, right? And so soon, I just had a son. So, yay. He's seven oh, months congrats, right man. now, right? That's oh, awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So, so, as soon as he showed up, my heat press setup went bye-bye. So, like, my, because I, I run a side business. I have my own T-shirt line, and I do custom jobs for other people as well. Of course, this here, not podcasting exclusively, but working here at Heat Press Nation, it's my nine-to-five. So as soon as my son showed up, all my equipment got moved out of the room, had to make room for all his stuff, right? And so now I'm, I have like, without exaggeration, I probably have like a, let's just call it like a six by six area. So space is at an ultimate premium for me. And I've heard story after story from my customers here, because I'm also in, in this part of sales here at Heat Press Nation, where it's like, hey, I have an extra bedroom. I have a corner of my garage. I have a really small area. And of course, I feel like that's where heat pressing really gets to shine. But uh, I, I know you have you have your thoughts on heat pressing. You started heat pressing, and then you switched over pretty quick to screen printing. But what would you say for people who they have to, for, for lack of a better term, like what advice would you give somebody who has to heat press because they, they don't have any space? They're here in SoCal, rent is through the roof, and they, they're just really limited on space for now. Yeah. And heat pressing is great. And I look like a lot of people think that because I'm a screen printer and I've got, I'm pretty opinionated on a lot of things. They think that like, I'm going to hate on heat pressing and I absolutely don't. That's, that's how I started. I was telling this story to someone the other day, I pulled it out that little stalls hat heat press that I bought the first one. I still have it, even though I don't use it. I'm never going to get rid of that thing. Cause that is responsible for everything that I have now. Wow. And, and, uh, it's heat pressing is probably it's definitely the best starting point for sure. Cause it's, there's a low barrier of entry. It's got a low footprint, you know, it's pretty much anyone can do it. It's very easy. Um, however, people nowadays, like there's starting to be a, a big shift going on where everyone's really looking at DTF and everyone's really relying on DTF. And there are some people saying like, this is the future. This is the best thing ever. It's not, I'm sorry. I'm mean, going to hurt a lot of people's feelings right now. <laughs> DTF is the lowest on the totem pole when it comes to I just to heard quality. hearts just, break across the internet right yeah, now. Yeah, like there's an army of heat pressers about to burst down my door right now. But um, it's true. Like it's it's literally the lowest quality way to make a garment. It's just, that's the facts. Right now, currently with the technology, the way it is, that's just the way it goes. But it's a good way to get started. So if you have a heat press, awesome. But you should be using that as a stepping stone to get into bigger and better things. Um, 
if, if you intend on becoming a printer, essentially, if you want to start a shop and, and producing things for people, then you should be using that as your starting point, your, your door, and taking that and using that to build up to bigger equipment, more equipment, kind of like I did. So I started off with the hat heat press, then it was the, uh, the vinyl cutter, and then it was the bigger heat press, and then I used those three things all together to offer more products to eventually save up enough money, enough money to go screen printing. And that's kind of the, the path you should take if you want to have a real shop one day is start off with the heat press, start off with these small, easy things. You can knock out jobs, kind of learn the ropes, learn how to run a business correctly, learn how to, you know, learn the, the backside of the business. People don't even talk about, you know, ordering garments all day and dealing with distributors and, and weird stuff, setting up your, your business stuff in the state or country you live in. Like there's a lot of weird stuff a lot of people don't mention. Um, learning all that, that's, that's where the heat press comes in. And then use that thing, make your money, figure out how to build a client base, and then step up, step up, step up. And then eventually those heat presses, they still find life in the shop. Like my heat presses, I've got four of them out in my shop right now. They still get used every day almost because oh, nice. I have a DTG here, so they get used for that type of stuff. Um, we do the odd heat transfer stuff. I do like the, uh, like the printed vinyl transfers on like, you know, sports jerseys or, or things like that. Do a lot of motocross jerseys because of my background. So we use it for that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely probably the best starting point you could, you could have right now, but just use it as a stepping stone to go further. My, my ADD is kicking in. You talked about DTG. I saw your video where you did the simulated process. I think it's your, your most recent video. Uh, you did the simulated process uh, for that metal band. And I, I have a question. How come you didn't DTG those? Was it just the quantity issue or? Yeah, speed, quantity, and quality. You know, okay. DTG is still, even though I, I, I like DTG, I didn't think I would too. That was a shocker to me because I've, I've dealt with a lot of DTG in the past that I hated. And uh, Polyprint, when they came to me and were like, we want to put a machine in the shop and have you try it out and make some videos and stuff. I was very, very skeptical. And I was like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I want to see if, I'm going to give this thing the chance. Mm. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be that guy that just talks shit about something without actually trying it. And uh, so I gave it a chance and it, it impressed me big time. And I, I love that little printer. It's awesome. Like it's not fast. That's the big thing. It's very, very slow. So okay. if I was to produce that order uh, on the DTG, it would have taken me, I don't even know how much longer, literally probably like 50 times longer oh, than it did geez. on the, okay. on the, on the, yeah. the auto. Um, but uh, and quality too, like DTG has has gotten to a point where the quality is really awesome. But it's still it's it comes in at number two. Nothing can beat screen printing in terms of quality when it comes to longevity and everything else. Like screen printing, a good screen printed shirt will outlast you, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> you know, there's shirts still floating around from the '60s and '70s that dumbasses are paying four or five hundred dollars for that the screen print still looks great on it, and uh, yeah. and that's the way it is. A good screen print will last forever, essentially, and. Uh, that's something that the other stuff, I don't think, unless some really crazy stuff happens, I don't think we're going to see it really fully catch up with the digital side in our lifetime, personally. Gotcha. So, so yeah, you know, that one was just a speed thing. They ordered, it was like 100 shirts, something like that. Like, it wasn't anything crazy. And uh, But the auto, you know, it ate through that thing, even though the video was however long, like 10 minutes. I probably spent less time printing that order. Oh, <laughs> I spent more time filming it than I did actually printing it because the auto, <laughs> Dude, that thing awesome. can smash through an order like immediately, right? You know, even yeah. when I'm operating solo on that thing, I can run like 300 pieces an hour. So it, it flies through it. If there's two people on that thing, we're talking like 700 an hour. Oh, wow. Uh, I did not. Yeah. 
in my mind, I'm yeah, thinking, like, oh, he's probably doing like 120 an hour. I don't, I don't, cause I don't, I don't know anything about that. Yeah. Like six, oh, 600, 700 an hour is no problem for an auto. And that's like a, a comfortable working pace for a lot of shops. Like they can go faster. I've seen people run that same press at a thousand an hour, but they're like, they're hauling ass. Yeah. I wouldn't want to work at that pace. That would suck. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, that's crazy. You've, you've brought up a lot of different print methods all in the same shop. And I think that's kind of interesting because people sometimes will ask like, hey, should I, cause we here at Heat Press Nation, we'd, we'd handle a smaller range. We'll handle like uh, heat transfer vinyl, uh, sublimation yep. and white toner transfers. Those are like, uh, and as I'm sure you know, like the kind of the building blocks the entry level uh, to, to pro mm -hmm. printing. And um, they always ask, well, which one's the best? And my, my answer is like, hey, there's not really one single end all print method like it depends on what you want to do and it's funny because you're you're someone who has all the resources uh, available to you and you still run multiple print methods like what what would you what what, what are your what's your opinion on that i guess like what's the best method or you know yeah right you, you said it it's it's there's not one end all be all it's it, it fits different things so like there's going to be a different method for this customer there's gonna be a different method for this garment there's there's so many different ways that it could be done so let's say like uh you know someone comes in and they want to get this crazy full color print but they want five shirts that's you could screen print that sure but you're going to set up a huge job that takes a lot of time and it doesn't make sense to screen print that like you're you're losing money on that essentially because you could be printing something else with a higher volume that makes more sense um however dtg that's that's where that thing lives in my shop. It's to take on those three piece, five piece orders or something that's got just an absurd amount of color. That's any, pretty much anything under like 25 pieces. I'll throw out the DTG. That's mm. if it's high color. Um, if it's say like more than five or six colors, if it's 25 pieces, then I'll throw it on the DTG. Anything less, we'll screen print that. Um, and same with like the vinyl stuff, right? So like someone wants one motocross jersey printed. That's where the printable heat transfer vinyl comes in. Perfect for that. And it's, you know, it's got dye blockers and everything else. So it can handle that type of thing. Um, it's, it's funny. Like that's everyone. Always, I, I get this question a lot. Like what's the best way to start and what's the best way to print. And I give them the same answer. There isn't one. It's what's the yeah. best for that particular project. What's the best for you? Uh, it's like the age old thing in screen printing. Probably the most common question that I get every single day is like, what's the best whiting? Like there, and I tell people there isn't one. <laughs> there literally is not one. Yeah. It comes down to your setup. It comes down to what you're printing. That's what matters more than the ink you're actually using. Oh, that's crazy. Dude, I love to hear it. I got one more question and, uh, well, I got like technically two, but one more real Let question. Let them all rip. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And we like to end it. So we are, we are, we're going to go ahead and wrap up soon. Um, but I like to end with this question to all my guests. If you could go back in time, let's say time machine's real, Doc Brown shows up, right? But you, you can go back in time to freshly retired from motocross Lee, right before you're starting up the print shop and everything. If you can go back in time and give younger Lee some advice, like what would you tell him? Like how would you help him on his future journey? Oh, first thing I would tell him is learn discipline and structure. Like I, for a long time I operated, like I could just do everything all the time and it feels like you're getting a lot done and you're really making a lot of progress, but, and, and you do, but once you learn that structure and learn that discipline, you get so much further, so much faster and enjoy everything else so much more. Like yeah. I was talking about earlier, like I could have, if I had learned what I learned now, three, four years ago, I'd be at a way higher level right now, guaranteed. I only wow. just started really, really putting this into play in the last like couple of months. And, uh, and it's changed my life completely essentially. So, if I could tell myself that 
few years ago. Right now, I'd be, even though my shop is 200 feet from my house, yeah. I might be driving a Lamborghini there just because, <laughs> you know, nice. if I had that kind of discipline and structure when I started, I think I'd be in a, a crazy place right Man, now. So that's like so. the, it's kind of like the, like the cheat code in a sense. Yeah. Oh, wow. It nice. is. It really is. And that's how, like, I, I learned it from, like, a lot of outside sources. So I, I don't really... I mean, I do pay attention a lot to like the industry stuff. Like I look up to people like Ryan Moore and he's a, he's a legend. Um, and you know, guys like my buddy, Richard Tilly, he's always bombing out awesome advice to people all the time. But I also look for a lot of outside sources uh, of learning and motivation. And even though like I've never served in the military or anything like that, people that I really, really look up to and get a lot from are like, you know, the retired special forces guys that are out there putting out like books and podcasts and things and like teaching people a lot of the stuff that they learned throughout their careers. And, uh, and I get a lot from that, like so much. And that's where I started learning the discipline thing and whatever. And that's like, they base everything they do around discipline essentially. And, uh, and I mean, those, these guys are doing way crazier. They're doing feats that other people in the world can't even fathom. So if I can take that same thing and apply it to something as stupid as printing shirts, I could probably get pretty far with it. <laughs> so uh, as soon as that clicked in my head, man, it was it was game on and and yeah, it it helped a lot. Dude, man, I, that that is golden to me because that's probably one of the one. And I've said it already. Like, I people people who listen to this podcast are already tired of hearing me sing this song. But like, man, I really could not when my son showed up. It rocked my world, and I could not. Uh, I, I lost all discipline organization for running my nine to five, my marriage, my side business. And now this new thing, it just really, I don't know. And I didn't, he's my pride and joy. I love him to death. Like, don't get me wrong, but I, I wasn't prepared. I for sure didn't have the discipline. So like, I'm going to make sure my wife doesn't listen to this podcast because then now she's going to tell me to get more disciplined. And, uh, and then that's going to be bad for me. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, like think, yeah, think it, about like one of those same dudes like that. I, that I look up to, being thrown in that same situation, right? So like, you know, babies, they wake up screaming because they crap themselves at four o'clock in the morning <laughs> all the time. Yes, <laughs> Imagine someone who has spent their lives doing these crazy things or being in the military that like their their clock and their body, they, they wake up at four in the morning. That's normal for them. So that's like, yeah. all right, this is, this is already part of my day. This is, I'm just doing this thing. This is my first task in the morning. It's people's mindset and how they train themselves really can apply them so much better or worse to different scenarios. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to figure out right now. I'm not sitting here thinking I have all the answers to this because I sure as shit don't, but uh, I'm learning and I'm, I'm sorting it out. So people have been asking me to make a video about this whole thing for the last like two weeks since I started showing this Google Calendar thing. So now I got to figure that out and teach people yeah. what I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, dude, I'll, what I would, I I would love that video for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be cool. Yeah. So it's crazy to see, like most people are like, ah, teach me this print method, teach me how to run my business. And then I showed people that now everyone wants to learn that. I was like, that has nothing to do with anything <laughs> that I show normally, but uh, I can see why it would be beneficial. So yeah. I guess I'll do it. Dude, I love it. Well, you got any big uh, 2023 plans coming for like Rogue Lab or any of your brands? Yeah, man. Um, the brands are kind of like, they've been on the back burner for a while just because I can only do so much. And uh, <laughs> I've been, last year I really struggled a lot with everything going so wrong in the shop. And um, now I'm kind of playing catch up again because it, it was bad. It wasn't just a scenario where all the stuff didn't work. Like you gotta, people forget when your shop doesn't work, other stuff follows it. Like you lose clients and, and things like that. So essentially I was starting off from ground zero again a couple months ago, trying to regain clients and regain work and, and get back moving again. 
And uh, so that's been my focus for the past while. So I've kind of put the brands on the back burner. Those are like personal projects that I can do whenever. Um, that's like a fun thing. My main focus is getting this shop up to a level that it can run basically without me. That's, I would love to have it there within the next, I don't, I think a year is crazy to think of, but like two years, I think is a possibility where I can have this place so self-sufficient that it'll run the same way, whether I'm here or not. That's the biggest mm -hmm. goal for me. Um, other than that, I really want to get, uh, get the channel back moving again. Of course I didn't make videos very much last year, so I'm really focused on getting that back going again and getting on a schedule with that. That's, that's the really hard one to get into yeah. my schedule now is to get, discipline to where I have a video every week because trying to fit that into my schedule is nuts, but uh, I'll, I'll figure that yeah. out. And uh, I just got an embroider machine literally yesterday. So I'm going to be learning that stuff now. Um, that's a whole other world that I have no idea about. <laughs> and I also just got a laser engraver that's still sitting in the box. I got to set that up. So we're going to be doing a lot nice. of cool new stuff on the channel and in the shop this year, uh, being able to combine all this, all these pieces of equipment now, because now it felt like the laser showing up was like the last piece of the puzzle that was, yeah able to uh, allow me to like combine certain things like combine screen printing and embroidery together combine heat pressing and embroidery or you know there's so many different things that the laser just ties together i think it's going to be some real interesting com content coming out this year so I've, I've got some ideas that yeah i've got a lot of ideas that i've never seen out there before uh, in terms of just cool ways to make a garment so i think they're original ideas i don't know we'll see i guess but yeah. <laughs> um, Dude, as a fan of the channel i am stoked for all of this you're saying all this and i'm like oh yeah yeah let's do it let's do it let's go <laughs> yeah man like there's there's so many cool possibilities that i have at my fingertips now and it's just like my brain is constantly running that little hamster is running <laughs> a thousand miles an hour on the wheel up there and uh <laughs> yeah that's that's a big one and of course like i spoke about earlier my my biggest goal is shop expansion because I'm nice. out of space and I want to I want to keep this thing growing. I want to get a second press going in there and uh, and get other equipment just to make a better product, make my job easier, automate more things, to get something like a CTS and, and things like that or getting, you know, auto reclaims going or whatever, just anything that's going to step up our value and step up our product and step up what I can do on the channel, like I'm I'm going after it. Yeah. That's exciting. That's really cool. So, one more time for the people, where can everybody find you online? Yeah, so just uh, look me up, Lee Stewart 38 at on any platform. Spell my name right though. It's S T U A R T, not not the other way. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a, I got the same handle on literally every platform out there, uh, as well as Rogue Lab MFG. That's the one for uh, the shop, and again, every platform for that one. Beautiful, man, Lee. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to talk with us today, for joining us on the podcast. We really appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy. I'm sure I appreciate you blocking all that time out for us <laughs> on the <laughs> calendar, man. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, have a, have a blessed day. <laughs> Hell yeah. Thanks for having me, man. It was fun. Cool, cool, man.